Boiler Upload podcasts are brought to you by Reindeer Shuttle. We know driving to the airport sucks. Let Reindeer Shuttle do it for you. With five daily trips to Indianapolis International Airport and three to Chicago's O'Hare International Airport, they can do the driving for you from Purdue. With multiple pickup points on campus, they'll take you where you need to go. That's ReindeerShuttle.com for booking information. Hello and welcome to the Boiler Upload podcast. I'm Casey Bartley. And with me today, I have an exciting guest. You might know him as at Cobra Stats on Twitter, but his name is Connor Bradley. Connor, thank you for coming on. How are you doing today? I know you're out there sweating in the Vegas heat. Oh, I know. Um, to be able to be inside right now in air conditioning <laughs> is one of the best things ever. Um, I, I, will, I will never complain about Indiana weather ever again. So... Yeah, I've always been told you, you want to go to Vegas to go podcast. That's exactly it. Yeah, it'll make you appreciate it more. Exactly. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're not. Uh, are you a big gambler? I'm really not. No. Okay. Um, I mean, maybe I, 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 I did see out here that right now, um, Purdue football to win the Big Ten this Ooh. year is plus 10,000. And that's one I, <laughs> I don't know if I can stay away from right now. So. <laughs> I mean, the big stuff, like it just feels good to have in your pocket. Like just put a little bit, you'll forget about it. It'll be fine. Exactly. Exactly. I, do you remember what the odds were last year? I do not. No, I can't I either. I'm sure it was high, not as high because their schedule was pretty easy, but yeah, the same thought, same conversation last year would have uh, got you a few more dollars in your pocket. So oh, I know might happen again in Ryan Walters, we believe. Oh, absolutely. But uh, Connor's on here. If you're not familiar with this Twitter, go check it out. Again, it's at Cobra Stats. And pretty much, Connor, you are a numbers nerd who gets at it with a bunch of metrics and really cool stuff for Purdue that you don't really see around anywhere else. Um, I'm a big fan of your product. And we're going to talk some numbers for today. We're going to get started off with just what are some numbers and trends that you saw last season that you think might carry through into this next season for Purdue basketball? I mean, I think the the reason for a lot of my optimism is, you know, obviously getting one of the most efficient players in the country back with Zach Eady. Um, but I also think just all the pieces getting back. I'm a huge fan of just like continuity, like mm-hmm. being able to return guys. And I think right now in the in college basketball, there's kind of these two different um, tensions at play where it's the uh, I think what Ken Palm calls it is like one is D1 experience and the other one is minutes continuity. Um, so like how many minutes are you getting back? And last year we were low on both. Like we were a very young team. And at the same time, we were, we had just lost, you know, Jay Nivey, you know, Travion Williams, Sasha Stavanovich, some of those guys. And now, you know, first of all, continuity is going down across the board just because of the whole transfer portal. Like teams right. aren't keeping the same players. Um, but also teams are getting older because of the COVID year right now. And we kind of get the luxury of both of those things next year where you're essentially returning all of your, or all of your players from the year before. So everyone's getting a year older and you're returning a bunch of minutes. I mean, like 80 plus percent of minutes from the year before. And so I think that's one of the big reasons I look at this coming year. And I, I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic but I think that's one of the big things is these guys getting the opportunity to play together again, um, 
And I think this summer also lends a lot to it with, you know, people actually being around this summer, Mm -hmm. uh, being healthy this summer, getting extra practices for foreign travel, all those types of things are going to be so great for the team. Yeah. In the summer, we don't get Matt Painter a whole bunch. You know, he takes a little time away. It's on the recruiting trail a lot. But one of the things, every time I've heard him talk this year, they're very proud that as a program, they've taken some of the fewest amounts of transfers. And it's that continuity that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Right now, the thing that they are focusing on with summer practice is bringing their one, their one new piece, Lance Jones, because Miles Colvin is in Turkey right now. And bringing him up to snuff on the defensive end because he wants them to play a bunch. And the fact he doesn't have to do that with 10 guys, five guys, six guys is a big advantage. They can jump right into stuff in the summer. So I think you're definitely uh, hitting on it. And, you know, part of that is we had two true freshman guards that did way better than anyone could have anticipated. Mm-hmm. And now they get to come into it. They talked both about how they get to come into this year knowing what's going on. How much um, of this continuity do you expect to continue um, statistically, metrically, or to even improve? Is there a way to really even even gaze that with numbers? I mean, looking ahead, you can obviously look at minutes. You can look at mm-hmm. you know points produced. And I think the fact that Painter this past year trusted two freshmen more than you know, he ever, he ever has, uh, I think says a lot, but also says a lot. Cause I think I look at, you know, Braden Smith and Fletcher lawyer, both as potentially four year guys at Purdue. Uh, and I think that experience in their freshman year building into their sophomore and so on mm. is going to be so invaluable at the same time, you know, looking ahead, um, to, you know, what we potentially lose, um, at the end of next year, right. You know, obviously we've got Zach Eady graduating out, um, Ethan Morton graduating out and, uh, Oh man, I forget the the third one. David Jenkins. Well, he, yeah, well, oh. Jen, Jenkins out. I mean, we lose Lance Jones. I think he's a one year guy as well. Um, oh, that leave this year. Well, from that class, right? Um, and so I can't remember right now off the top, but um, looking at that, I mean, just even knowing like, hey, you know, Painter's building it through the transfer port, or like looking mm. at the transfer, he's not he's not diving into that that much. He's building. Um, throughout. Now I know that the 24 class is going to end up being a pretty big class. Um, but at the same time, I think he's building these guys with a lot of experience um, in, in last year into this year, and then being able to keep that going from year to year. Um, and I, I think, you know, if you, if you look at the kind of the relationship between continuity and success, um, there's, uh, there's a writer from the USA Today who, who had pointed out that if you look at like the last, I don't know, it's like, like eight NCAA champions, they all had minutes continuity of, uh, of like, you know, last 2022 with Kansas, it was 70%. Baylor was at 66% the year before Virginia was at 60%. Villanova at 55.9. And we're, we're probably going to be around like 80% when all said and done um, for this coming year. And I know UConn kind of bucked the trend this year, but I think you look at that and it's like, you know, building something into this year. Absolutely. But I also think getting experience for guys um, and, and, you know, we're only really bringing in you know, Miles Colvin this year, but also Cam right. Heidi, who's essentially a, a freshman. You know, giving them that experience too, I think, is going to be really valuable building into the coming years. You you touched on saying Virginia shares that continuity, especially in the season where they won their title, and that's mm-hmm. coming off of the year where they lost in the first round. Exactly. Yeah. 
so I, I think that's a pretty convincing, uh, even if convincing isn't the right word, it is interesting to see that a team that probably overachieved the year before, they probably got there a little mm-hmm. earlier. I think you can say that about Purdue. You could probably say that about Virginia then. They were one seed, but they were young. And they hadn't really yeah. been there before. But now they get all the benefits of that carried over into the second season. So it's not just a cute narrative story that makes sense. It is that continuity that you're talking about. And I definitely think that is going to be big going into next season. I agree. So when we're talking about advanced stats, some you do really well, some you use a lot is BPR. Mm -hmm. Can you explain to me and other people that you understand up high on the list is good. High numbers are usually good, but what, what is BPR and why is it something you choose to use? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, BPR comes from a guy named Evan Miyakawa, uh, Evan Mia on Twitter. His stuff is awesome. He's, mm. he does such a great job. Um, and uh, basically the way I like to explain it is it's uh, it's like what Ken Palm does for teams, but on an individual player level. Okay. And, so basically the idea is like, you know, in Ken Palm, it's like, okay, how would a team perform? But if you adjust it for the team they're playing against. Um, and so in adjusting that, it's, you kind of bring it to that, what we call like, like what would be the like NCAA average. So mm-hmm. BPR does that, but on an individual player level. So, you know, say that you have five absolutely identical average players playing against five absolutely average players. And, you know, across a hundred possessions, say the final score between those is like a hundred to a hundred. Well, then you t- take a player who has a BPR of five. Um, the idea is if you replaced one of those average players with that new player who has a BPR of five, now the team that that player goes on, his team's going to be five points better across those okay. possessions. So maybe now instead of the final score being a hundred to 100, it's 103 to 98. Um, and so the idea there is just that you know, you could throw me on the court with like Zach Heady and Ethan Morton and Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer and like just the raw numbers would make it look like I'm good because the offensive mm-hmm. numbers as a whole are good, but like right. it doesn't mean I contributed to anything. And so what this does is it kind of pairs that back and says, all right, like how much did that player actually contribute? Okay. Like individually, if you were to put them there with like a bunch of average players. So I'm going to guess that Zach Eady had the highest BPR on Purdue. He did, yeah, he did. Was he number one in the country? He was number one in the country, yep. Okay. And how much of that granularly is, is it efficiency scoring? Efficiency, because it, it, it's pretty much an efficiency stat, right? Yeah. Based off mm-hmm. offense and defense. Yeah, and it, it, it is an efficiency thing. Um, and that's why they always stretch it out to like the 100 possessions and kind of just looking at it. And And, and I think that's actually why TKR did score well because he's a very efficient player. Um, and and like I said, he had a BPR of you know 2.11. And if you look at it, that doesn't sound like like, like a two points over 100 possessions for after. And it's like, you're right. You got also got to keep in mind the guy didn't, first of all, he didn't play a, a ton of minutes this year. I think he played just shy of 400. Um, at the same time, he also, um, a lot of times, a lot of those minutes, uh, he wasn't even in there with Zach Eady. So he was kind of like our, our main post guy. Um, but at the same time, if you compare where he was his freshman year to other bigs that Purdue has had over recent years, um, I mean, he's, I think the only, I put this out, uh, I think the only person or the only big under, under like kind of under Brantley, um, where 
anyone was actually better at the at the start of their freshman year was Swanigan. Um, and and so I think that says a lot uh, about the the possibilities of what um, we could see with TKR going into next year. Um, now at the same time, I know there's been talks about like, oh, is he going to keep playing the five or is he going to potentially move to the four? Um, and I thought this was really interesting. I, I had pulled this earlier because um, out of out of his minutes he played this year, TKR played 90 minutes with Zach Eady on the floor. Okay. Um, and it, so he's probably playing a little bit more of the four in that case. And mm. in those 90 minutes he played with Zach Eady, he had an effective field goal percentage of 70.6%. Um, he was 11 for 17, two for five from three. Um, but I thought it was cool. He had 10 assists, eight of which were to Edie. And so it's like, you know, you can see like in the times that they put him on the court there, they played well together. Um, and there's, there's a couple of those, like Evan Miyakawa has some metrics that showed like that there's a high chemistry between Edie and um, TKR. And so I think no matter where Purdue ends up playing in this year, if there's a little bit more at the five, um, if he spends time at the four, like I think he has like you could see it all year. Like he had, he had some post moves, like he, mm. he was pretty fluid and he just has another year in the system to uh, kind of get into it. So. Yeah. It's fun when like what you're seeing is it's measuring up to what we're hearing from painter because mm-hmm. one of painters big points this off season was we, I, he didn't do a good enough job of preparing Trey to play the four, particularly on the defensive end. And it's for this reason, whether they, that Purdue basketball is big into advanced metrics. They are not mm-hmm. a, a dinosaur coaching staff. They, they get similar stuff to you do and they see this stuff. So this isn't nothing that they, they saw the same thing. They they're watching this team and they need more pop scoring. And he is one of the better things. One thing, when you look at the graph that you posted that I see mm-hmm. every single one of those guys, Edie Harms, Haas, Hammond, Swanigan, and Trey Williams, they all made a big jump their second year. Yeah. So is that something, uh, I mean, that's, there's not a much better comparison that you could possibly make, right? I mean, they're in the same system, uh, same school, same position, same mm-hmm. offense, obviously evolving a little bit. But so do you expect that kind of, you can expect an even more of an efficient jump this coming year, which I think is pretty uniform for most players coming freshman to sophomore. Yeah, without a doubt. But I also think, you know, like I think so highly of Coach Brantley and just like the work he does. Like I think he, mm-hmm. whatever he's being paid, he's being underpaid. You know, it's like um, he's shown it year after year. Um, and I know Painter's done a great job identifying talent. And then they get these guys in here. And the fact that, you know, Trey, when he's in there, he's going up against the the best center in the country, the best player in the country. Mm-hmm. Like that's a that's a tough job to handle every day in practice, but that's without a doubt preparing him and getting him better and like i said i think you know whether you look at this and say like yeah he spends time at the five and there's evidence to show he gets better at the five or we've seen that he spent time on the floor with Edie kind of playing more of the four and the numbers show that he did well and in that time there it's like i think whichever whichever way you cut it i I think he has the potential for a big jump um coming into this next year yeah i think generally everyone sees a lot more than trey he came out you know, the red shirt was surprising because he was so talented coming out of high mm-hmm. school. Someone that some people, especially towards the end of the season because of his play, don't see as much of a leap coming from as Fletcher Lawyer. But Lawyer, you know, came out pretty much he was playing with two straightened calves at the end of the season. Um, his play obviously dipped, his shooting dipped late. But BPR is pretty kind to Lawyer as well, correct? Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. If you could just go into what, what you've seen number wise that encourages you for next season with him. Yeah. I, I mean, I think for a lot of people, like what stays in their brain is what was happening at the end of the season. You know, like, especially you see with the tournament loss, mm-hmm. you forget, everyone forgets everything that happened in the, you know, the, the 34 games before that. Right. And I think if you look at lawyer, like lawyers actually started off the season incredibly well. Uh, and I think people forget that. I mean, he, when those three games in Portland, when he's, you know, you're playing against West Virginia, Gonzaga and Duke, I, he was eight for 18 from three. Um, you know, there was a, there was a point where I think it was like, once you hit like mid January, um, he was shooting like, I think it was like so far on the year, like 37, almost 38%. Mm. And then, if, you know, you know, like that's when, you know, that big 10 fatigue kicks in. And like you mentioned, you know, playing through some injuries. And I think that he probably doesn't get enough um, grace in that, you know, right. uh, where he's coming in as a freshman and, you know, like he was getting the crap beaten out of him. I mean, like half the time I feel like I looked down and he was like on the floor, <laughs> yeah. not just because he wasn't flopping. He was like getting knocked down. And he was, um, he was puzzled this year why he what didn't get called uh, or yeah. called for any fouls. He's like, I, I don't know what I did, but <laughs> yeah. And so like, I, I, I get it, you know, that he, he was playing beat up and I think that's probably why you saw a lot of that slide, but it's like, you, you look back and he showed evidence and it wasn't just like fluke evidence where it's like, Oh yeah, you shot well, like randomly in a game that you went off for a game or two. I mean, he was shooting pretty well and pretty consistently. Um, and that's even a lot to ask of a freshman in their first, you know, 15 games of their freshman year. Um, how much more once you get, you know, another summer of conditioning and another summer with your guys and, you know, just kind of figuring it out. And I think one thing that, painter doesn't always get enough credit for is you know there's the complaints about you know Purdue missed all these wide open threes and it's like yeah well they're wide open for a reason though like our offense is structured to get these guys wide open shots and um i think you know people frustrated at painter's stubbornness like i understand of 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 them saying like well if they weren't falling why didn't why didn't you go inside more it's like well he's he's recruited really good shooters like they can make it Mm -hmm. sometimes they just go don't go down um and so uh I, i think that you know, I, I'm, I'm super high on lawyer just in, in terms of I, he's an incredible shooter and like we've, we've seen it. Um, I think that he understands now the grind of a NCAA season and what that takes. And I think having those pieces around, I think having, you know, Edie having another year of, you know, learning more about passing out of the post. And I think he's going to get some great looks. And I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see, you know, him creep into those 40 percent. I would love it, you know, as a fan. <laughs> But I also wouldn't be surprised. I'm like, yeah, I can make sense. Right. I think one thing with lawyer, especially to pay attention to, is for all the talk about Painter's offense, it is a demanding thing to be the two guard. Mm. We've seen a lot of guys. Dakota Mathias was not good his freshman year. Um, struggled with sickness. Uh, Morton struggled a little bit earlier. Um, Klein never popped off until he got the time, obviously. DJ Bird struggled. Kendall Stevenson, Steven struggled. All these guys kind of had to learn how to play this in-between role where they're on the ball, but not off the ball, but not on the ball all the time. They don't get to run a bunch of pick and rolls. It's working off cuts. Um, and I think Lawyer showed a lot of a lot of balance in his game. He's very smart, cerebral. Mm-hmm. Uh, knows when to attack physically. He wasn't quite there to take advantage of that yet, but he did look, I think he's put on about 10 pounds since last season. Yeah. And you can see in this frame. And I think that's going to be a big thing to make his job 
a lot easier if he could just hold up. That touches on, for me, I think one of the most fascinating things about this season, there are so many players on this roster. Mm. There are so many guys capable of playing. I, I couldn't tell you day in, day out, who's going to be the second or third best player in a game. So what kind of stuff can you break down lineup data-wise to tell you what worked for this team last year and what you expect to see this year coming forward when it comes to who's on the court? I mean, if you look at if you look at at least starting lineups, um, mm-hmm. Purdue only, we only had four different starting lineups right. last year. Two were by necessity, like Zach got sick, mm-hmm. um, and Mason got had his back injury at a point. Um, but really, Purdue minutes wise, if you look at, I think there was a hundred different lineups Purdue put out. I think it's exactly a hundred we put out mm-hmm. at some point throughout the year. Two of them were used far above and beyond any of the other lineups. And it was that combination of Zach, Ethan, Fletcher, Braden, and then either Caleb first or Mason Gillis. Okay. Um, and and those two, it's like, it's really interesting because mm-hmm. you know, you're like, okay, we have like this controlled environment where you have four players the same and you just right. switch <laughs> one guy out. Mm-hmm. And it's actually incredible what it does with the numbers. Like a, as a whole, like efficiency, like your, your net efficiency is the same. But when you have, when you have Mason on the court, the team is like, I think it's like eight points higher offensively, but about okay. eight points weaker defensively. Um, okay. I mean, you, you put Caleb on the floor mm-hmm. and it's, you know, they're, they're better defensively than, um, than the other one by about eight points, but worse offensively. And so it all, the exact out. same. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've ran that on, on my own, which is with raw efficiency, you know, mm-hmm. um, Evan Miyakawa stuff back set up too. And it's just, it's like, man, okay. So you see what happens at the, at the four, you know, just switching those guys out and, you know, granted like Caleb has four inches on Mason. Um, and those, that that's going to make a difference there at mm-hmm. the four. Um, but Caleb actually by a number of metrics, like was like one of our best, if not our best defensive player last year. Um, you know, you probably don't, don't always see it. You know, he's not he, I, after getting steals, but he, he's a really good defender. He's produced best, best athlete. Mm. Like, sneaky fast and quick for being 611 like yeah. very long and the fact that he can play alongside Edie at all is pretty remarkable that is fascinating that they are such a complete just inverse of each other with mm-hmm. um is there anything that indicates whether being better at offense or defense is more valuable in the long run or does the facts the number have it equal just means they're equal i mean so I, I think if there's always that old adage of like the whole, like if you look at um, Ken Palm, it's like, oh, you need to be in the top this offensively mm-hmm. and this defensively to do well. And Purdue's pretty historically been like, I mean, if you look at offenses, um, I don't know the last time Purdue was like had slipped out of like the top 50 Ken Palm offense. Like it's been a while. And it, it, it was the team that wouldn't have made the tournament. There's it's probably that one, yeah. but, it, but even looking at that, it's like, that's great. But like we saw this year, like offense doesn't travel, you know? Um, and, and I okay. think the, just kind of like the variance of offensive efficiency versus defensive efficiency. And I think that was one of the more encouraging things that you saw from the team last year. Um, you know, the 2022 squad, like I think defensive kind of slipped a bit, mm-hmm. but I think what helped the team last year, even some of those games were just like, you know, shooting like below 20% from three, what still let Purdue win right. was, uh, you know, defense. And 
Um, and I, I think that's, you know, looking at, you know, offensive versus defensive efficiency, obviously you can look at those all day, but like, I, I'm, I'm always higher on defensive efficiency just because, you know, d- like they say, defense travels, um, mm-hmm. and you know, you can have one of those off shooting nights and just because you, you know, have an offensive efficiency of 125 doesn't mean that you're going to be that, that night. Um, but at the same time that defense, and I, I think there's a lot of emphasis on that last year. And then I assume into this year as well. Right. Efficiency wise on defense, is it a battle? Like what's more valuable, not putting teams on the line or turning the ball over? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I think one of the things that helped us this year is I think I'll have to check on Ken Palm, but we Purdue have, doesn't foul. Yeah, we, we do not foul. They don't foul. Um, and you know, uh, I, you, you can, and, and I'll say this, like it, you can, you know, people, you know, say, you know, Purdue gets the benefit of the whistle. Purdue doesn't foul. Like, okay, I hear you. But at the same time that Purdue, um, yeah, had the lowest, um, f- like free throw rate. Is that right? Yeah. The lowest free throw rate on defense. Right. So never sending people to the line. Purdue was also 330th this year in turnover percentage, you know? And so that's the other thing you got to keep in mind, like Purdue's not out there trying to force, um, you know, get, like getting mm-hmm. all of, like playing that really big 10 kind of defense of getting all of them people's business and trying to steal the ball where those fouls are called, you know, um, Purdue the guys are staying in front of their men. And um, I think like you have to kind of look at the free throw rate and the turnover percentage kind of hand in hand in order to be like, Oh, that's why Purdue wasn't sending guys to the line. Um, and at the same time, like, I think this is, I think it's kind of, of funny because, you know, Zach was one of those guys who didn't get called for fouls. Um, but if you right. look at, if you look at um, kind of like the percentage of shots teams took at the rim versus away from the rim, uh, when Zach's on the court or off the court, it's, it's hilarious. Like just that his presence, like it, I think when Zach's on the court, teams would attempt uh, or so let's, let's, let's say this when teams, when Edie was off the court, teams would attempt, um, just over a third of their shots at the rim. So like 33.8%, okay. that would be dunks, layups, um, at the rim. Uh, when Edie was on the court, that number drops from 33.8% of attempts down to 26.8% of attempts. So just by significant, Zach, yeah, yeah, that, and that's not, that's not even saying blocks because a, a block still counts as an attempt. So it's like, right that's just Zach being in the lane forces those like mid range jumpers and stuff like that. Um, and that's another reason you see less fouls because um, mm. most fouling happens at the basket um, on those. And so I think it's, it's one of those things like, like Zach's presence is a really good defense just in general, right. you know? Yeah. Probably an undersold part of his game. Cause you watch him out there and your eyes don't quite tell you that. Cause you're like, when he gets caught in a pick and roll or whatever, it looks bad. Cause he gets blown by. Mm-hmm. But yeah, th- I mean, that number alone to cut it down to 25% shots at the rim. That's exactly what you want as a defense. If you could yeah. not give up open threes and not give up shots at the rim, that is the identity of great defense. And it was 2020 that the offense fell to 50th. Exactly. Okay. Uh, yep. 11th in defense that year. But yeah, that was the Trevion Williams, Harms, Eric Hunter, Jihad Prockner, Sasha, Isaiah, uh, Evan Boudreaux Eastern team. So yep, yep. That lacked some firepower. Um, this year they finished 12th in offense and 24th in defense. That offense at the beginning of the year for the good first half, they were first in the nation and really struggled late. Something that Painter talked about again that just 
they lost their confidence towards mm-hmm. the end of the season. Um, so when we look, so you talked about the two most used rotation lineups. Is there anything you saw that stood out about, you know, obviously Purdue's going to have a different look with Lance Jones, Camden Heidi, um, Miles Colvin. Is there anything in there? And maybe it's TKR, the answer somewhere in that lineup. Do you expect a lineup to uh, really show fruit this year? I mean, you know, you kind of almost like look at it from the start and you're like, okay, we can pretty well, I mean, I don't want to say assume for certain, but that we're going to see a lot of Zach and Fletcher and Braden on the court together. Correct. Um, and then it's in kind a good of like, they're on and, the court. <laughs> exactly. And then, so you're kind of like, okay, what's going on with the, you know, the three, four spot from there. Um, but what I really like about this year is I feel like Purdue has a lot of versatility mm-hmm. in what they do there. Um, I think with, you're right, like having, um, you know, Ethan and, and Miles, uh, Miles Colvin and, and Cam Heidi there that can kind of go to three. You could even, you could probably even throw some of those guys in as, um, as fours, you know, like, especially like Cam Heidi, like I mean, he's just so Heidi's huge. Yeah. He's, he's, he's big. big. Yeah. Um, and then same thing with, you know, if you, if you got Mason, um, at the four, you know, put Caleb at the four, like he'd spend some time there, TKR there. Like, I think there's just so many mixes of lineups you can do. And then even, you know, you can play in a little bit smaller too, like with, uh, without, um, Zach in the lineup, like, and I think being smaller, but like also super athletic, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think like that's, I, I think that offers Purdue a lot of versatility this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think there's a lot to be seen, you know, like we haven't seen Cam Heidi or Miles Colvin play a minute of college basketball yet. Um, you know, everything kind of like looks like these guys are, are, they're the real deal, hopefully. Right. Um, and I'm super excited for both of them. Uh, but at the same time, I think that kind of the, right there in the three and four, I, I think there's a lot of options of what Purdue could do. Um, and, and even, you know, in those minutes, like the probably what, 10 minutes a game when Zach's going to be sitting, uh, right. I think, I think this year there's going to be a lot more of being able to like in those 10 minutes of being like, okay, this is exciting. This is fun versus like, okay, mm-hmm. when's Zach coming back in? Um, right. so I might, uh task you with a homework assignment later to look up all minutes with Caleb first as the uh, center. Cause okay. I have vague memories of him as a true freshman. I, I believe it was the North Carolina game where Edie and Trey both got into foul trouble. And it was the first time we saw fi- uh, first at the five. And I just remember him kind of unlocking that six eleven body. that could just be all over the floor on defense. Yeah. And I am, I am, have always been very curious if Purdue could have a second rotation that was based around that when you he know, went to the floor. The, so the other day I, I like was someone had mentioned something about like, Oh, you know, first not playing at the, you know, where, where have we seen first at the five? And I was like, okay, I need to, I, mm-hmm. I would just want to see like, what is he like? Where's he at post moves? Right. And so I, I just went through and I like filtered my play by play for like Caleb first and hook shot. And <laughs> that's and, probably not great. <laughs> Well, there was like eight instances of it. And like, mm. I, I forgot about this, but like there was a, a play um, when we, because I went back on YouTube TV and went through these, there's a play against Duke where he backed down Kyle Filipowski of Duke and he yeah. put a hook shot right over him in the lane. Yeah. And like, I want to see more of that, you know, like that was yeah. pretty sweet. And so. I, um, at times, Caleb was the second best player in Portland for Purdue. He did well out there. Yeah. Yeah. I, it would be so we talk about Trey unleashing. I definitely think there's more in first as well, but that's the issue. There's three big men that, and that's not even talking about William Berg. So, yeah, 
it's going to be a tough one for Painter. Um, speaking of Painter, you you know you brought this up as we we're talking beforehand. Painter's favorite go-to is we need to make shots and not turn over the ball. And fans tend to ridicule that simplicity. But that's kind of what basketball comes down to, isn't it? It's crazy, right? <laughs> you know, one thing that I um, kind of just like, I, when I really started getting into just like wanting to know more about basketball stats, I, I read a book, um, Dean Oliver's Basketball on Paper, and he was kind of the guy who really brought to the forefront and the focus um, what's called like the four factors, right? Where it's like effective field goal percentage, turnover percentage, free throw rate, uh, and offensive rebounding rate. Okay. And Purdue's really good at offensive rebounding rate. I mean, I think we we're Ken Palm had us like 37th this year. I mean, you got Zach Eady. Eady so. is the best offensive rebounder since I started recording that stat. By yeah. Himself. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so we're always good there. Free throw rate, like I said, we get to the line a lot. Um, and we also do it no matter what at a higher rate than our opponents are. And so we always kind of got those two in the bag. But then the other two are kind of what he's harping on is like, okay, effective field goal percentage because three points are weighted more there and turnover rate like what percentage mm. of your possessions you turn the ball over and so i was just curious so I, like i went through this past year and i was like okay like comparing purdue's effective field goal rate or effective field goal percentage versus an opponent's and the turnover rate versus opponents um if purdue did better than their opponent in both of those we were 10 and 0 makes sense right That's yeah good. um if we were at least better than only the effective field goal percentage, so which probably means we were hitting our threes, 14 and 0 on top of that. Um, also good. Yeah, whenever so we're three and one whenever only our turnover rate was um, turnover rate was better, um, but then two and five when both of those were worse than our opponents. And so I mean it's it's that's why they're called the four factors. It's like you do these four things well, you're going to be good at basketball. But it's like. Painter sometimes seems like he's oversimplifying things, but he's oversimplifying it because it is kind of simple when it comes down to it, right? right? It's like, just don't turn the ball over, make right. your shots. Um, easier said than done. Um, right. But it's like, that needs to be a focus and, and Painter knows that and he's aware of mm. that. Especially when it's not like Purdue is at a physical disadvantage the same way they might've been 10 years ago, random mm -hmm. teams here and there. Like the deficiencies don't really exist on the squad anymore it's it's this mental extra effort that like a lot of the turnovers for purdue last year were not were not a defense doing things to purdue one time last year it really seemed like a team took it to purdue and that was maryland on the road mm -hmm. and that's gonna happen and when that happens like sometimes you just have to throw the tape away and be like okay but missed open shots and unforced turnovers like you said things that as a coach, Painter says this all the time. They're not trying to miss free throws. They're not trying to miss open shots. But that other stuff, like, if that's what's important to you and you don't do it, Purdue's going to have a pretty good season once again. Mm -hmm. And I think so. that with another year of those being an emphasis, it's like, you know, you know, people are like, oh, what are you supposed to do to tell them not to turn the ball over more? It's like, well, yeah, but it's also like they work on that stuff. Like they work mm -hmm. on how to be better passers and smarter passers. And um, I think with that being a focus, especially going into the off season, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. I mean, every year I'm optimistic, but I'm also optimistic this year. So, right. Well, yeah, I, a lot of the times the ball is going to be in a hand of a guy who, you know, isn't a true freshman anymore. Mm -hmm. Like Braden Fletcher have been through this and, a lot of that stuff does fall on them just because they have the ball in their hands and it's going to be Braden Smith 
orchestrating the offense. It's going to be Fletcher as the second option on the perimeter. So the fact that they already have an entire season of playing 30 minutes a game, like those things, regardless of anything else, they should just get better from that experience. But they also now know, by the way, if we don't take this seriously, we're going to get stomped out of the NCAA tournament by a 16 seed. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a good way to learn a lesson. It's not a good way to learn it, but it's probably an effective way to learn a lesson. Yep. Oh, for sure. Um, Connor, I appreciate it. Once again, you are at Cobra stats on Twitter. Uh, everyone go check that out. We'll post it on the description. Any final thoughts right now? We'll definitely uh, check in with you at least when the games are coming on and see trends throughout the season. Um, you always do good stuff. Is there anything uh, we missed or you want to touch on? I did also see Purdue has the third shortest odds for the uh, basketball NCAA title. (laughs) You are in Vegas. I would. So what is the odds? I saw plus 1400. Okay. So, I mean, it's plus money going in your pocket. Listen, I, I, yeah, I'm I'll, I'll, I think, I think every single year I assume that it's, it's a much, much higher odds. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty, like I said, I think I don't want to sound like a, a Cubs fan as well, but like oh, things, I, I think, I think looking, you know, from three years back, two years back, it was always mm-hmm. kind of like, okay, this 24 year, there's, there's going to be something special going on. Right. So I'm looking forward to that. That's the only problem with college, like, or sports in general. There's so much history before yeah. it happens. I feel like it, will never happen. And then it happens. So let's make this the year, right? Right. <laughs> so go pick up a, go pick up a Purdue ticket, uh national championship odds, just five, $10 should be fine. And uh, we will all hope that Phoenix, Arizona, I believe. So we're going to be hot in March this year. That's okay with me. Right. All right. Thank you, Connor. Uh, once again, at Cobra stats, this is your boiler upload podcast. Thank you for listening.